Welcome to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. My name is Gwen DeSelm, and I am delighted to be your host for these moments together. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. In your educational life, did you ever have a test that was really hard, so hard that it almost seemed unfair? Well, in today's episode, Abraham faces just such a test, the hardest test of his life. But it wasn't a test of his knowledge. It was a test of his faith. Would he be willing to give God the most precious thing to him in all the world? Let's listen now and see what we can learn from Abraham's example that can help us as we face tests on our journey of faith. Let's take our Bibles in hand, shall we? And open them up to the book of Genesis in chapter 22. Genesis 22, I want to read to you most of the account, then I'll come back and give you some observations, then we'll conclude at the end. Genesis 22, verse 1, have you found it? Follow along, would you please? Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set off for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, reached out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow. It's got to be one of the most moving portraits in all of Scripture. Any parent here would just grapple with what? What would that mean? How could one do that? There's an interesting word in that first verse. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Interestingly enough, that word tested in the Bible is only used as it relates to believers. 
not unbelievers. So the question that begs to be asked is this, why would a loving father test his cherished children? And I suggest to you the answer to that question is found within the question. It's because our father does cherish us and love us, that he tests us. James refers to it this way in the New Testament. You know the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Let me give you the first of three observations this morning. If you'd like to jot down a few notes, you're welcome to do so. Here's the first. The purpose behind the giving of tests is to develop us, not to destroy us. The purpose behind the giving of tests is to develop us, not to destroy us. Since leaving Ur at age 75, Abraham's come a long way, not only in miles traveled, but in experiences that he's had. And along the way, he's faced various tests. Some he passed with flying colors. Others he failed miserably. And now he comes to the ultimate test. As chapter 22 opens, it's been 15 years since chapter 21, since Ishmael and Hagar left. You may want to jot down your Bible ahead of chapter 22. 15 years later, this would have made Isaac between 17 and 18 years old. During these 15 years, Abraham had known unprecedented peace and prosperity, harmony in his family, peace with his neighbors, and most significantly, intimacy with God. God's his best friend, and God has given him this remarkable promise. Isaac, he'd named him. Laughter, because he'd laugh for joy. And how much joy Isaac must have given to Abraham and Sarah in these 15 years. One can only imagine what they'd done together, what they'd shared together, the dreams that Abraham had told his boy. You will be the head of a mighty nation. Isaac, laughter. Somehow it all fit. And suddenly this peaceful world is shattered. Abraham. Here I am. And the word there means more than a geographic location. It means in the essence of, at your service, sir. Whatever you wish, Lord, here I am. And all of a sudden, Abraham is not laughing anymore. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. And in reading that account, any thinking person has to think, why? Why would God ever ask that? What was behind it all? We aren't told specifically, but here's some thoughts. I think we can infer the reason in that second verse. Look at it closely. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you what? Love. Could it be that Isaac had perhaps become too dear to him? Could it be that Isaac had taken the primary place in Abraham's heart? Could it be that this wonderful gift of promise was now more loved by Abraham than the giver of the promise? We're not told. All we see is that God now tests Abraham in a way that this father and grandfather can barely fathom. He's told to place that promise on the altar. After 40 years of relationship, Abraham now faces the ultimate test. He's been asked to give up his homeland, his security, his family, his finances, 
and now to give up his son. What's stunning to me is Abraham's response in verse 3. Early the next morning, he gets up and prepares to obey. Don't miss that. All the pieces hadn't come together. Abraham did not understand why. His heart was breaking. His mind was swirling with confusion. But he set about to do what God commands, even though it would cost him the most important thing in his life. He was determined to lay that on the altar before God. And friends, that's the issue at play here. Would he let go of his most cherished dream? Would his abandonment to God and God's purposes go that far? The journey to Moriah took three days. Abraham's mind would have been spinning, I'm sure. Why would God ask this of me? I thought he was going to keep his covenant with me. How will Isaac produce descendants if he's dead? And all along, I want to cry out to him, because see, I've read the rest of the story. I want to cry out and say, it's okay. It's all going to turn out okay. But see, Abraham doesn't know that, because life doesn't work that way, does it? And when God asks you to lay a dream on the altar, to give up that which you so love, you aren't allowed to see the end of the story yet. You have to decide if you're going to lay it, out, lay it on the altar before all your questions are answered, before it even makes sense. And thus it is that we recognize faith is obeying God simply because he asks you to, not because it makes sense to you. Abraham stays on the journey. He stays on the journey. How could he stay on the journey? How could he do this? I think Abraham recognized something. The challenge to obey in the present was because he remembered God's faithfulness in the past. I'll say that to you again. The challenge to obey in the present was because he remembered God's faithfulness in the past. Or the key to handling tests is never to forget in the dark what you learned in the light. One of the great values I found in journaling, I've been journaling over 20 years. I just, in my quiet time, I write down my thoughts and observations in Scripture. I write out my prayers. And that only helps me capture my thoughts because my mind wanders a lot. But also, I now have stacks of journals that I can look back on. Sometimes as part of my summer study break, I'll grab an old journal and I'll look back at how I was feeling back in 2003, back when I almost quit, and to watch how I navigated that, and to see God's faithfulness. Or I'll look back at 1997, when my father suddenly died and part of my world died with him, and to see how I worked through those next months. And I recognized that the God of my past was sufficient for my present. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. By the way, start looking for some symbolism here. Moriah is in the very area where Calvary is. He places the wood for sacrifice on the son's back. He carries the fire and the knife the two of them go on together. Isaac speaks up, Father, yes, my son, fire and wood are here. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dads, how would you like to hear that question? 
What's going on, Dad? I trust you, Dad. What's going on? Abraham rather lamely says, God will provide. And continuing on, they reach the place, verse 9. Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar, reached out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. Let's pause right there. Because that's right where some of you are. You're in the process of being challenged to put your dreams on the altar. That which matters to you the most. And the knife is in the air. Because you're prepared to do it. For some of you, that Mariah moment is your marriage. You had such dreams. But now those dreams have turned to nightmares. And you've got to decide if you're going to be faithful to your marriage vows. Even though your dream of a storybook marriage probably won't happen. Will you lay your marriage dreams on the altar? Others of you are not yet married, but you're in a relationship. And I'll tell you right now, because I knew I was once in one. That relationship is not going to lead you to a deeper walk with God. It's going to compromise it. And I've got to ask you, will you lay that in the altar? With no other hope of another relationship to come. Some of you are single with no relationship in sight. You'd hope to be married. And every time you see a happy couple walking hand in hand, it's like a knife in your heart. Will you lay your singleness on the altar? Say, God, if that's that's my world, okay. Some of you are looking for children, and the children haven't come yet. Are you willing to lay that on the altar before God and say, whatever your will is for me? Maybe you once had high ministry dreams. You so hoped to be a real player, but those dreams never happened. And now you serve in the shadows with little recognition, fanfare, putting a ministry on the altar. This is what it means to go to Moriah, to be willing to trust and obey, even though it doesn't seem to make sense. And now we finally come to the end of verse 11. The Lord, the, but the angel of the Lord calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. I picture him going, now what? At your service, tears streaming. What more do you want? He continues on, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. The word doesn't mean to cringe in terror. It means to properly reverence because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You see, this test had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with Abraham. Trust in God's character and God's command. Now I know that you will hold nothing back from me, Abraham, and now you know it too. Abraham grappled with his faith and plumbed the depths of his trust. He was forced to recognize who was number one in his life. And it wasn't Isaac. It was God. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. 
Dave Cell Ministries depends on the generosity of people like you. If you've been blessed by these messages, consider giving a gift to DDM. Just go to our website, davedesalmministries.org and click on the donate button. Well, in addition to this podcast, Dave Desalm Ministries offers other resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as devotionals for everyday disciples. These devotionals are filled with inspiration from God's Word that will encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus every day. Go to davedesalmministries.org and you can browse through the over 150 devotionals found there. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to receive our weekly update and you'll get the latest DDM news and a personal word from Dave every Monday morning. Now let's get back to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. More than that, though, this allowed God to bless him even more, which is our last point. The reward for passing tests is not only provision in your present, but fulfillment for the future. Out of this test We read about the ram in the thicket, verse 14. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it was said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I'll bless you and your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. What's he saying? Your act of obedience will gain far more for you than you'd ever hoped or dreamed. One last thing. I mentioned the parallelism. Thousands of years later, there was another one who went up that hill with the wood on his back. He was laid down the wood and the knife was raised in hammer and nail. And this time, the son died. As you wonder if God is worth it, if he has your best interest at heart, remember that his son was sacrificed. Paul's words from Romans 8 help me out. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? How can I trust that if God takes from me the dreams that I have, that things will still work out for me? because he's already given the greatest gift of all. He won't withhold any others. Sooner or later, every one of you will have to go to Moriah. You'll probably have to go more than once. And you will lay down your dreams, your hopes, and you have to decide, will it be worth it? It seems like you might have lost everything. But in reality, that action may open the door to something far more. One of the greatest illustrations of that, one of my favorite all-time illustrations, has been found in many places. Max Lucado, in his book, The Angels Were Silent, records it this way. It's the story of Lieutenant John Blanchard. As we close, allow me to read this to you. John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightening his army uniform, and he studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he didn't, the girl with the rose. 
His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued, not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and an insightful mind. In the front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her address. She lived in New York City. He wrote her a letter introducing himself and inviting her to correspond. The next day, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year and a month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart, and soon a romance was budding. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 p.m. at Grand Central Station in New York. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock, he was in the station looking for a girl whose heart he loved, but whose face he'd never seen. I'll let Lieutenant Blanchard tell you what happened in his own words. A young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her, and then I saw Hollis Mayno. She was standing almost directly behind the girl. A woman well past 40, she had graying hair tucked in under a worn hat. She was more than plump, her thick-ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. I felt as though I was split in two, so keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly championed me and upheld my own. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, warm, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would perhaps be something precious, perhaps even better than love a friendship for which I had been and must ever be grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke, I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I'm so glad you could meet me. I'd be honored to take you to dinner. The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is all about, son, she answered. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my lapel. <laughs> she said if you were to ask me to dinner, I should go and tell you that she's waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. Lieutenant John Blanchard passed his test. Will you pass yours?
Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.